The following program is proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. Being a HSC student can be stressful. It can be extremely humbling and time-consuming. It takes a lot of self-discipline, energy, patience and persistence. Particularly in such a time where many people advance in their taste, physiology and maturity, it can all seem like too much to bear. The crushing weight of expectations can be paralyzing. Stop for one second. Breathe. Realize that this is just the start of your journey. Pace yourself and know this. The milestones that matter are in the lessons that decorate the mind and not the certificates that decorate the walls. The experience has much more to give you than any mark. The journey is often more fruitful than the destination. So join us as we trek together on a journey beyond the ATAR. The HSC period is upon us. This period brings with it waves of concern and fear, as well as hope and hard work, despair and perseverance. There are shared feelings of underpreparedness that are rampant amongst not just students, but at times even parents. Yes, dear senior students, even some of your parents are getting caught up in the HSC hype and are feeling your stress. HSC students in this time will often bring about an atmosphere in their home that impacts their family as well. So, the aim of this episode is to hopefully clear up some misconceptions or answer some burning questions that plague some students and their parents during the HSC period. So without any further ado, let us pass the mic to our guest speaker to clear the air and hopefully calm some nerves. Today I'm joined by Lubaba. Lubaba, how are you? Good, thank you, Dima. How are you? Alhamdulillah, thank you for asking. And uh, just speak a little bit about yourself, uh, introduce yourself to the dear listeners. So I have been working at Al-Amana College in Liverpool for 20 years and um, I'm the high school coordinator, so I look after the high school. I'm also an English teacher. I can teach other subjects as well, but I teach mainly English. I love teaching the subject English. Today we want to just answer some frequently asked questions, some things that maybe the HSC students or their parents might not know, just to clear the air, clear a little bit of confusion, calm some nerves. Yeah, there's always a lot of confusion. Yeah, and I invite you, if there's something that I haven't asked and you think is necessary for the HSC students to know, then you're more than welcome to share it. Yep, sounds good. So my first question, on one hand, some students neglect their year 11 as just something of a time filler. So they just kind of cruise through it. Mm. On the other hand, there are people that overexert themselves in this time and they're depleted by the end of it. And by the time they get to HSC, they basically have nothing left in them. So how should students tackle preliminary year? So the prelim year, or now we refer to it as year 11, 
I think that it needs to come from the junior years more than anything else because it's about habits, isn't it? Um, so what tends to happen a lot, I guess it's normal teenagers going through year seven, eight, nine, ten. They think that it's easy. They'll just try and study at the last minute, do their exams or assignments at the last minute. But when you get into year 11, uh, the game kind of changes and that's where a lot of students and their parents think, okay, you're a senior now, you need to grow up and you need to do this and you need to do that. And so then they start off very eager, excited, and then it lasts about maybe two, three weeks. <laughs> so those who start off that way, it usually starts to, you see the motivation drop, you see them start to become tired it's really the same pattern of getting ready for an assignment at the last minute or doing study for an exam at the last minute. So, and that's where it's more about habits and, and patterns and our behaviors. And usually when somebody can start earlier before year 11, and that's where the patterns are built in earlier. So it's about being consistent from when you're in year seven and, and making mistakes in year seven or making mistakes in year eight and then maybe even submitting some assignments late or maybe um, not doing well in an exam and then learning, oh, I've learned this and then learning a little bit differently for the next time. So those ones who are more consistent and having these habits from a little bit earlier tend to achieve better. But let's say, for example, you haven't had that pattern from when you were in a junior and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do this. Then that's where, okay, be consistent. That's, that's the biggest message. So working a little bit every night on different subjects and having a timetable of those different subjects, that's what's going to work. Whereas, um, you know, trying to do things at the last minute doesn't work. And I think that's normal even as an employee or having a business or anything like that. Yeah, it's true. Mm. I mean, when you were speaking, I was reflecting on my own journey throughout school where I did not have any study habits mm. for all of junior years, I think. I think it was basically, as you said, last minute stuff. Some stuff was even late. Yeah. And when it came to year 11, it was such a shock that I just completely plummeted. Yeah. And I think that's a trend that you see pretty often in, in your experience. Yeah. Um, so I do want to ask, when it comes to HSC, you did mention it's a completely different ball game. It's completely different workload. The content is even delivered differently and you have different expectations. So how should a HSC student study by the time they reach that point? Uh, what kind of study habits uh, should they have? So this might sound a little bit strange that I'm mentioning this, but it, it's not even about study. It's about patterns of behavior. So when do they sleep at night? When do they stop using their phone? When do they put the phone down when they walk in the house? Uh, when do they pick it back up? When do they give themselves breaks? And what is the break? So imagine studying, and, and these days a lot of students, again, on their laptop studying. And yes, technology is moving that way and it's good to have those skills, but the HSC exams are still written. So there needs to be, this is a study technique where put the laptop away and write. Time yourself when you're ready to start timing yourself. And then later bringing the laptop in. Mm. 
I even say um, to students, if you can't start writing, well, then in that case, use the technology where you see the the question and answer it like as if you're telling somebody or, or looking at yourself in the mirror, speaking into, I think Microsoft Word has a dictate feature. Yeah. And then let Microsoft um, turn it into text. I might not sound very technical, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's what we're trying to achieve. Um, let words turn it into uh, text. And then you have a draft because a lot of students, if you ask them the question, they can easily answer it. Mm. But if you say to them, write your response, they sit for ages. Oh, I can't start writing. I don't know how to start. What do I do? At least this way, they've got a draft already written. Yeah. It'll get them started. So if you're sitting there writing or on your laptop and then you go, okay, I've done 20 minutes worth of work. Now I'm going to take a break. And then the break means sitting and scrolling Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is. It's not really a break. <laughs> These sorts of things, uh, I think, uh, sometimes for some people, obviously I can't say for everybody, but these habits of how we live our life are what are going to affect the way we study or the way we work or the way we do things. So, you know, what time you sleep, wake up, you know, waking up early is very important. We know this. There's so many blessings in the morning. I say to the students, break your routine in the sense where, okay, you don't need to get up so early, but don't get up so late either. And don't stay up so late because trying to get back into your routine when we go back to school is actually going to take you two or three weeks. And once you take that two or three weeks, okay, now I'm back in routine, that's when the assignments are going to start. And the assignments are going to stress you out and you're going to forget about getting into consistency to get ready for your exams. And then it's, you know, stress of getting into routine, stress of exams. So we're stacking problems on top of each other. Whereas had you kept your routine, that's it, one problem solved. You don't need to try and get back into a routine. I guess it's advice. And you know how you were saying that when you were a junior? So even for juniors, it's the same sort of thing. Go to bed early, wake up early, um, think about how you're going to take a break, uh, make sure that you're doing things like praying and taking your time to pray as well, looking after ourselves, attending lessons. These are the things that are going to impact all that other stuff. I love that you didn't really mention too many study techniques. It's more so about your attitude towards your studies. Yes. It's more so about everything else that you do that when you do come to study, you're more motivated. You've set the time for it. You're only going to do this amount. You know your limits. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're going to stick to. And when you build that habit, it becomes so innate that it just it doesn't become a chore anymore. Well, that's the thing because... I could sit here and tell you so many techniques. There's there's so many. Um, You know, like that one that I said about dictating into Microsoft Word is one, just one small one. But they don't matter if you're not going to be consistent. And and like you said, it becomes innate. You mentioned that taking a break in between studying should not consist of a person mindlessly scrolling through their phone. Mm. So can you tell me why that's not something that a person should do during their break? Well, because your brain's not taking a break. So Mm. that's just like, you know how I said, when does a student put their phone down at night? It's actually not a healthy habit at all to lie in bed on your phone 
with the blue light, you know, because we get blue light. I'm not, some students say to me, oh, but I put the filter on. <laughs> it's not, it's your brain and what your brain is doing and it needs to wind, wind down. down. Yeah. Um, but if the last thing that you're doing is looking and scrolling on your phone, it's not winding down. It's still active. So the sleep that you're getting is not the sort of sleep you could have gotten had you wound down a little bit or some people fall asleep with their phones still on and, um, you know, their phones still going and they've fallen asleep because they just got so tired from mindlessly looking at their phones. So I always suggest, like, read your English novel because, you know, for some of you it's so boring it's going to put you to sleep anyway. (laughs) And, you know, I distinctly remember you telling me that you would leave your reading to the end of the day because that's what would help you wind down. It would help you actually sleep. Yeah. Mm. I remember that specifically from you. Yeah, that's the last thing I do. I always just, obviously, I like to read and I need to read. As an English teacher, I should keep up with what is um, on the curriculum as well. So I read those books as well. And sometimes I would even switch between two books in one night. But it does. It helps me to wind down as well. Excellent. So we're going to move from the topic of studying for now. And we're going to talk about a lot of the new terms, the new systems that we might come across during HSC specifically, things that never before would we have thought about. Yep. So the ATAR, the word ATAR, a lot of people mention that ATAR isn't a grade, it's a rank. Yep. So can you elaborate on that? So let's say the minimum is 10 units that students need to finish by the end of year 12 if they're going for an ATAR. Now, two units means you're doing one subject And one subject means that you're doing 120 hours worth of study. But that means that for every two units of a subject, that subject is worth 100 marks. So if you're doing 10 units for year 12 and two of those needs to be English and very soon they're going to make maths also compulsory as well. So soon to be maths and English. At the moment, still just English. What happens is you do your HSC, 500 marks. So potentially you could get a mark out of 500. That mark out of 500 is with NESA. So that's what used to be called the Board of Studies. They then give your mark, which is out of 500, to UAC, so the University Admissions Centre. When they give all of those marks for every student around Australia, out of 500, well, then they need to be ranked. So and then the highest one is 99.95. So it used to be 100, no longer um, 100. And it's a rank. So because there's so many students, that's why most of them, what's going to happen is they will fall around the 70s because the bell curve. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that's why we say 50s is not an average. Mm. Um, The the average is in the 70s, and that's the ATAR, so that's the rank. When it comes to the ATAR, how strict are ATAR cutoffs for university? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) So it depends where... Obviously, now a lot of universities are giving out a lot of early offers. So... The strictness kind of depends every year. I've seen it change so much over the years. You know, I remember back in 2007, for example, a psychology degree was in the 60s 
an ATAR of the 60s. Now we're talking 90s plus yep. psychology. So it really is supply and demand, you know, the universities. And, you know, so obviously the more demand, it means the higher the ATAR is going to be. And that shows when the universities introduce a new degree. So probably about oh, seven years ago, I remember it was very popular to do a bachelor in gaming software. And I remember, I know um, your face was uh, funny then. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it became very popular. Even some of our students wanted to do a bachelor in gaming software. I can imagine. Now, any degree that's that specific, I actually advise against. Um, and it was a new degree. So they had it, and I can't remember the code in the UAC book, NC, I think it is, new course. So what happens with new courses, students obviously put it as one of their preferences, but then what do the universities do? They wait and see, okay, well, this group of students who have put that course, who's the higher ATARs, and that's who they make the offers to. Oh, wow. So if you have a whole bunch of students who – um, were interested in that course and their ATARs were in the 90s, well, obviously that's going to set a precedent for the following year. And they obviously have a certain number of offers they can make for that particular course. And I remember the following year that course was in the 80s, but then it just kind of dropped off, um, which is common for degrees that are that specialised because if you're doing a Bachelor of Gaming software, you have no choice but to pretty much come out the other end of that degree as being a gaming software engineer. Yeah. It's not like doing a bachelor in software engineering yeah. where you could be offered a job by so many different companies. Even yeah. sometimes a small business, which is sometimes the way to go, where they would offer a job and you could do well with that small business. But if you're only in gaming software, it's very different. And right now... When you do apply for a job, they're looking for someone who has diverse expertise. Yeah. So really going for a specialized course such as that one is, as you said, advised against. Mm. Now, ATAR is a, a pretty big deal. I mean, I can imagine a lot of the people that are going to be listening to this series are looking for some solace in, yep. in the fact that ATAR is just one thing that you get out of HSC. So how can a person, after receiving their ATAR, practice resilience if they don't get their ATAR or they don't get into their preferred course how can a person be resilient about it and should a HSC student be considering multiple options if their ATAR isn't sufficient for their preferred course? Look multiple options is always very important um, I think that looking for other ways other pathways I always tell students so you have five preferences that you can put so I always say with the fifth one, look for any diplomas or anything that some of the unis might offer, which will get you then into their degree. Because usually the diplomas don't have an ATAR cutoff. I used to advise students to put a degree where it was 50s, 60s. Those sorts of degrees don't happen so much anymore. That's why I kind of advise. Look, it depends on the student, really. So I can't tell you like a blanket approach which is advisable to everybody, which is why it's very important you need to speak to somebody who knows. So not your neighbour who, you know, 
did well or didn't do well or, you know, somebody who had their own experience and based on their own experience, they advise you to do or not to do something. uh, And, you know, their own experience could be that they didn't do well or they didn't study, but they still got into uni. I think that's pretty much general advice for the rest of your life as well. Yeah. You don't just take the single experience of a person as yeah. the be or end all. Yeah, oh, that, that works in so many different areas. Yeah. Our, our advice is usually based on our own experiences and our own you know, filters of how we view the world. Yeah. So that's why you need to be careful who you speak to. And that's why at the end of the day, somebody who's giving you advice is somebody who has experience and is going to listen to you and your situation and then advise you according to that from what they know and their knowledge. It's true. Mm. I realized also in my experience and when listening to the experience of other students that the cohorts before them sometimes would advise them to pick subjects that are high scalers. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And obviously, um, if it were as easy as just picking the high scalers, then no one would pick anything except a high scaler. So can you tell us a little bit about the scaling system, how it works? That's good that you asked that because I forgot to answer with the first question as well that... Some students use year 11, and again, you mentioned about other cohorts who have graduated, and another piece of advice that a lot of people give is don't worry about year 11. You'll just cruise, what's the word they use now? I don't know, cruise through or something. Lunch through it. Yeah, there's so many different (laughs) words, I can't keep up anymore. Um, So they give advice, don't worry about year 11, but in fact, I advise students put Everything you have and what you know, so you've got your knowledge and your skills should go into year 11 because that's what's going to build you up as a person. Unfortunately, and I don't see it a lot in our school, but I think it's just a generational thing. A lot of teenagers these days, because of social media, think that they can straight away go to the resources, our network around us and try and collect that sort of stuff first before the knowledge and the skills. So if you're going to approach year 11 in a way where I'm just going to cruise through and I'll put in all my effort in year 12, you didn't give yourself the chance to make your mistakes. You didn't give yourself the chance to build your knowledge and your skills. What you did was you just looked for the resources around you. So you're like, oh, my brother has all the modern history notes. I'll just Mm. take from him. Um, You know, they know someone from another school who did business studies, HSA. I've got all their notes. I'll just use all of that. And then also a network. So you're using resources and network before knowledge and skills. And that's not going to work. So that's where it's really important to use your 11 to develop yourself, make your mistakes and then go, okay, good. I've learned all of this now. This, this and this is what I'm going to do differently in year 12. True. And, you know, the oversight in that is that the curriculum changes. So sometimes you might be studying something that's completely irrelevant. And sometimes, you know, the way that they had written whatever essay it was that you're memorizing from your siblings or whatever resource that you're using might have actually been a poor resource to use in the first place. Yeah. So you know you know what else that does with students who don't build their own knowledge and their own skills and again I don't want to stereotype millennials, but I think we hear a lot about people in the business or the corporate world complaining about the millennials Um, and that whole idea of that instant gratification and working their (laughs) way up to the top and all that sort of stuff because a lot of them don't realise that 
Okay, you should be working on your knowledge and skills first, build yourself up first, get your own experiences first. Then when you start to go out and work and you're going to build your knowledge and your skills even more. So whatever you've done at school is not going to be enough. You know, even if you don't end up at uni or whatever it is, there's another form of education which needs to continue. Your education should continue in whatever field you go into absolutely, um, and keep building that knowledge and skills, then you start to use your resources and your network around you, which then helps you build your reputation. Once you start to build your reputation, then that becomes a whole different ball game. And yes, it does take years. (laughs) It's not going to take, okay, I've got this degree now, I'm going to go out and be a manager. Mm. It's not how it works. And in my generation... It was normal, whereas I think now a lot of the younger generation see, I don't know, YouTubers and I don't know what, and you know they're defining their success by the money that they're making or yeah. the reputation that they've gained. And using shortcuts. And using shortcuts, but how long does it really last? Mm. So did I answer your question? Scaling? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. No. So with the scaling, I guess the same sort of thing applies because if you are going for a subject where you don't have the skills and the knowledge to do that, mm. and then you end up achieving a mark that's usually less than about 85 in any subject, you're not scaling up, you're actually scaling down. Yeah. And why do people think that, for example, physics is a high scaler? Well, because most People who take physics are the ones who can actually do physics. Mm. They're the ones who have been getting tutoring, you know, in science or they've been really interested in science since they were in even primary school. So they showed that interest. They built the knowledge and the skills all the way through primary, even high school. They get into year 11 and physics is very easy for them. Mm. So most of the students who do physics are the ones who are going to achieve the 85 to 100 mark. And so that's how it becomes a high scaler. Mm. And it scales the whole subject up because of what? Because of the students who take the subject. Mm. Um, Whereas a subject like visual arts is where you have a very big range of students. So those very talented students, very good with their literacy skills because you need good literacy skills. You still need to write an essay in visual arts. Um, (laughs) You still need to love how to write. You still need to know that it's uh, about the, the, you know, you're analyzing the historical context. You're analyzing the artist, everything. Um, And you need to be able to write that. Whereas then you might have on the other end of the spectrum, somebody who's taken visual arts because they're like, oh, I'm going to do this because I can just draw all day. Um, (laughs) Not to that extent, but they think that, you know, it's that easy. So that's why you end up with results in that subject where they range from very, very low marks, you know, 20s and 30s, right up to the 90s, almost 100. But most of them fall below 85. Mm. So that's why that subject usually scales down. Um, But again, because of the students who are taking it. I think you debunked a lot of things that were going through a lot of students' (laughs) heads. Um, So hopefully that'll be helpful to anyone that wanted to pick a high scaler just merely for the sake of it being called a high scaler. I want to go back to what you said about early offers. Yep. So oftentimes people get early offers, they Mm. get overexcited. Now, if someone receives an early offer before even sitting the HSC, Is this person, as some would say, in the clear? 
with no need to be concerned about the HSC anymore? Okay, so that's a very good question, Zima. And I have a love-hate relationship with early offers. (laughs) So early offers, it depends on the early offer that's given Mm. to the student. So sometimes they're given unconditional offers. And I mean... All I can say to you is let's sit there set, <laughs> especially <laughs> if it's an offer that they really wanted. They wanted to get into that degree. Yep. But in that situation and um, with, without obviously um, giving too much detail about different people I may know and what's happened, but I've seen people get, for example, an early offer in psychology, um, really wanted to do psychology and needed to, obviously, if they were going to get into psychology through the ATAR and everything, needed to have an ATAR above 90. Okay. Um, so they're working hard, working hard, but then they get this early offer in psychology and it's unconditional. Um, but then when they actually start the psychology degree, they get the biggest shock. They weren't expecting to see what actually a psychology degree entails. Mm. You know, all the science that they need to do, uh, all the expectations of the lecturers, which tells you why the degree had, you know, such a high ATAR to begin with as well. A psychology degree is really these days a demand thing Mm -hmm. um, because obviously mental health and well-being these days and all that sort of stuff – that's one example, but and this year, early offers being given from UNSW. They were given in 2021, obviously because of lockdown COVID, and yep. COVID. Um, and even then we said to the students in 22, we're not going to see that again. UNSW only did that because of COVID. They need the students, all that stuff, which in 22, nobody was offered as we were expecting. But then this year we saw a lot of early offers from mm. UNSW. So, and... I'm talking like really good degrees, but some of them had conditions. One was with an ATAR of 62. Um, Oh, so very reasonable. Yes. Yeah. So look, early offers are good. It does give students that sense of security. And I've seen it. As soon as they get the offer, it's like they take a big, deep breath. Oh, I'm relieved now. But why that's not a good thing, especially in a school like uh, Al-Amana, where we're constantly reminding students that you need to remember to always place the correct intention. And for a school that has done so much for you, you need to remember to give back as well. And this is one way of giving back. Mm. The school does so much. It's brought you up. It's your second home. So continuing to work. And honestly, our students, when when they remind themselves of that, they they keep working. Yeah. Mm. I think we've seen it in a lot of cases where you have students that are very capable Mm. and they did everything that they were supposed to do. And they did receive an early offer and still went through with the HSC in the way that they would have had they not received that early offer. Yeah. And it's just a testament to this person being yeah. a hardworking individual and uh, their integrity as well. That's right, yeah. yeah. And um, that's just one of the many things that a person would develop in their HSC that reflects their character and it shows us that the HSC is not just about the ATAR and all of mm. the studying that goes on. It's everything that goes around that studying. That's right. <laughs> You're laughing, so I'm wondering what the question is. (laughs) (laughs) So with a HSC student, their situation is pretty delicate. You know, high stakes, high stress, 
a lot of people have a vested interest in this student, you know, parents and, and teachers and everything yeah. going on around them. Now, in regards to parents, how actively involved should a parent be during this time? How would they support a HSC student through this time without micromanaging and breathing down their neck? Now I know why you laughed. <laughs> so, okay, I, I've gone through it twice myself already. <laughs> so, wow. and... In all honesty, I spent so many years not knowing what it was like until I went through it myself. Mm. It's very hard as a parent to go through and try not to get too stressed for our children. Because at the end of the day, you know, all we want is the best for them. And it becomes a little bit frustrating sometimes when you might see that there's so much potential because a lot of the time we see more potential in others than what we even see in ourselves. So as a student who's going through year 12, you think that, oh, I can't do this. There's no way I'm going to do this. Like, how am I going to? You're watching others around you achieving. Like, you might submit a task and then you get the results back. You think you're going to get these amazing marks and then, you know, you see Others who you're so used to are actually doing better than them, but then all of a sudden, like, oh, they beat me. And you start to have self-doubt. And then with that doubt, you do less work or you become less motivated. And then when you're a parent watching this happening, it becomes stressful. So the, the biggest thing is to keep communicating. So I say to students at school, you need to go home and you need to speak to mum and dad. And when I say speak to them, it doesn't mean you have to tell them absolutely everything and, and how you're feeling or what happened in your day. Because I know I'll ask my kids questions about their day and they think I'm interrogating them. It's like, I'm not interrogating, I'm making conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's about going home and saying, uh, I have this, this and this on tonight that I'm going to do because what that does is give mum and dad some kind of security oh okay good like they're working not only that you're setting yourself little goals so you've set yourself those goals for the night but by telling mum or dad you committed to it as well yeah because if you don't tell someone else what you're planning on doing there's no commitment it's like oh you got through the night oh nobody knew I was going to do that anyway so it's all right yeah And that brings to mind something else that I actually remember from you specifically, the term accountability buddy. I have been using that term ever since I heard it (laughs) for years now because truly it's such a strong tactic. When you have someone holding you accountable for a task, Mm -hmm. that external drive will push you to productivity. It will. Um, I don't think it's failed me. No, that's good. I'm so glad to hear that. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. (laughs) That's another thing. So mum might be your accountability buddy or you might have somebody else. So I I give students different things. Like obviously not everyone's going to be doing the same thing. And the same thing is not going to work for everybody. So it's just about giving different options and then people do what they will with it. Sometimes some students will try something for a few weeks and they're like, oh, that didn't work. And I'm like, all right, well, then try this then. And they'll even rotate what they're doing to to just try and make things work. Mm. And sometimes it takes that. But the communication with mum and dad at home 
is so vital because otherwise, first of all, mum and dad are stressing so much for you. So when when they get upset or angry, it's warranted. (laughs) Sometimes it's out of their fear for you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because Because they they see your potential. Yeah. And they don't know what's going on, what it is that's demotivating you at this time. They're worried about you. Exactly. And so it brings out a sort of frustration. You're not telling me what's going on. Yeah. How am I going to know what's going on so that I can help you? Yeah. And you can't just say, oh, I'm speaking to this person at school. I'm just going to keep speaking to them. No, it's you need to, okay, just sit down, have a conversation. So, again, that's another thing where I say to them, try and keep it consistent. Don't just wait until... That's it. You've burnt out. You have a breakdown and you start crying. And then that that really hurts mom and dad. (laughs) So it happens if you don't have that consistency, even in that communication with mom and dad, then those moments are almost inevitable, like they're going to happen. And, And that's why at least if you've started from the very beginning, telling mom or dad each day, just a little bit, you know, I'm planning on doing this. Or even when you failed at something like, oh, you know, I thought I was going to get this mark, but I ended up getting this mark. I don't know why. I don't know what I should do. They, they can help you. It's so important. Very true. Mm. And I mean, look, we look at our parents, even from youth, during our formative years, we look at them as our leaders. Yep. They're our role models. So when they have a clear image in their head of what they want from you, what they want you to become, because some of them do. Some of them have a very strong image of what they want you to become because they see that potential in you, for example. Now, some students might want to deviate from that, Mm. from that image, uh, but without causing some harm to their parents. But that's easy. What I mean by that, okay, is had they been communicating with their parents and their parents see that, okay, there's maturity, they see and they start to understand, okay, well, yeah, I wanted my son to become a doctor. Mm. But you know what? I can see that my son is actually so interested because of the conversations that he's having with me. Mm. Okay, like, yeah, why would I still insist on him being a doctor when he's so mature about this and I see the reasons and, you know, something happened in maths that clicked Whereas, you know, when he was doing biology, he didn't quite understand it as much. And so I can see why he's starting to turn towards wanting to do engineering or even when you might go home and show mum or dad, oh, look at this degree or somebody spoke to us at school today about engineering or whatever. They're part of the journey. That's what I mean by it's easy. Mm. They're part of your journey with you. And it means not being afraid to have those conversations. Very true. I I have experienced it myself. Mm. I've heard doctor for mm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe more than half my life. Yeah. You know, ever since I first saw a doctor kit as a toy mm. and I <laughs> reached cute. out for it, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. But the more that they knew about me and they realized where my skills lie, where my passions lie, they were more willing to listen to what it is that I wanted to be and the decisions that I would take in terms of my Korean studies. Mm. And I'm very thankful for that. And you're absolutely right. It just comes down to communication. Mm. Now, when it comes to motivating a child, I just want to talk a little bit about this. You do want to show the child sometimes that is negligent or is oblivious to the consequences. How do you show them the consequences without exaggerating or fear-mongering? 
So, I mean, look, these days, I guess the most common consequence is taking the phone away, really. Um, but see, you're even laughing now when I say that, but I, I didn't realize how much of a big deal taking a phone away was until quite a few years back where I used it as a consequence mm. for quite a long time as well. But it also made a massive difference. So, I mean, it's about using a consequence and also not threatening to use a consequence and then not using it. Mm. So... But apparently taking phones away these days is like a big thing, like massive. <laughs> so which is sad that we've gotten to that point, yep. to be honest. But then I think about it, if I didn't have my phone, all the things I couldn't do. But I don't use my phone very much. Like sometimes I will just sit and scroll, but it's very minimal, like a little yep. bit in the morning and a little bit at night. And that's it. Different um, generations use their phone in different ways. That's right. Yeah. So I think for a lot of younger people, the phone is, you know, communicating with friends. It's a whole nother world for them of different things to do on it. So it is a pretty big consequence, but I think it's the most common one that would come to my mind. Yeah. But then that's where you start to think, all right, well, if it is so, I guess, I don't want to use the word damaging because I don't think it's damaging to take a phone away. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess, yeah, it could have an, a negative impact mm. by taking a phone away. Then there are other things such as maybe not going somewhere or not doing something or, you know, something that's going to work or even letting the child choose the consequence. Oh, yeah. You know, that's... That's a classic teacher tactic, but yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Now, the final question that I'm going to ask you for today is going to be quite personal. Yep. I'm going to ask for a little bit of reflection. So in your position, you've seen cohort after cohort come and go. Each one has their own unique qualities, their own circumstances, like COVID, for example. Um, and I'm sure it wasn't easy to see them grow so much so fast, only for them to just pick up and leave. It feels almost immediately. So what would you want the coming HSC students to know and what do you want them to get out of that final year at school? So the biggest thing is to enjoy it, enjoy the process of going through it and not to try and reach any perfection because that's not going to happen. The process and making the mistakes is what they should be focusing on. So when I say the process, it means taking it day by day and setting those little goals and, you know, going home and saying to mum or dad, I'm doing this today, commit to it uh, or have that accountability buddy, partner, whatever we want to call them, uh, who you're going to say, I'm doing this. Let's come back to school tomorrow and see what we both did. Um, I mean, even now, I mean, COVID changed things where I say to them, have a team's call. Yeah. So jump onto teams and talk to each other, mm. um, test each other. There's so many different strategies, but I always push the higher order thinking. So you don't want to go home and just summarize notes. It's very low order. You're really just spending so much time with very little thinking and you haven't changed anything. You, you, it's not a needle mover. A needle mover is something that is... Not a massive task, but it makes almost a world of difference. Mm. So go home. I remember one student 
took this advice and did it so well. And they ended up doing, you know, an ATAR in the 90s. But sure. she used to go home. So I always say teaching someone else what you learn is higher order thinking. So go home and what you learn for the day, teach someone. Mum, dad, younger brother, younger sister. So she used to go home while her mum was cooking. She would sit at the kitchen bench and teach her mum biology. She told me by the end of the HSE, her mum knew so much about biology. And I said, does your mum just like pretend? (laughs) I asked her once, does your mum just like pretend to listen or does she actually listen? She was like, no, my mum is actually so interested and she asks me questions. I was like, that is amazing because it helps her. And also her mother is learning something about, you know, biology. Yeah. So even now, there's a student now about to go into year 12. She she makes her younger sibling sit down and listen to her. <laughs> Use <laughs> so, the resources you have. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And uh, just maybe a final word to the coming cohorts. Do everything with the correct intention in your heart. That's the biggest thing. Correct your intention all the time. If you're thinking about, for example, making your parents proud, correct your intention. You're doing it. Lillahi ta'ala. I want to make my parents proud. Excellent. Mm. I think you offered so much uh, in this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Dima. Being a HSC student can be stressful. It can be extremely humbling and time-consuming. It takes a lot of self-discipline, energy, patience and persistence, particularly in such a time where many people advance in their taste, physiology and maturity. It can all seem like too much to bear. The crushing weight of expectations can be paralyzing. Stop for one second. Breathe. Realize that this is just the start of your journey. Pace yourself and know this. The milestones that matter are in the lessons that decorate the mind and not the certificates that decorate the walls. The experience has much more to give you than any mark. The journey is often more fruitful than the destination. So join us as we trek together on a journey beyond the ATAR.